Welcome to The Real Deal Podcast, where we talk to Indiana music professionals about their careers who have been very successful, or as we call them, The Real Deal. My name is Rick Granlund. I'm the Director of Bands and Performing Arts Department Chair at North Central High School in Indianapolis, Indiana. Today, on our inaugural episode, we welcome Mr. Jay Gephardt, Director of Bands at Purdue University, to the podcast. All right, thanks, Jay, uh, for talking with me today, Um, and I uh, appreciate your time. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for the invitation to be part of this. I really appreciate that, Rick, a lot. So we have Jay Gephardt um, with us on our inaugural um, try, attempt, whatever you want to call it, on this adventure. And so um, I was thinking back, Jay, I was talking to my wife last night trying to remember when I first met you. And I we deciphered through all of our memories and went through things. And I'm pretty positive that it was winter of 1996 um, that we I, and I can't remember who told me, but I remember very clearly it was that like, you should give Jay Gephardt a call because we were looking for someone to conduct um, a, a middle school band festival that we did with Tri-County and Delphi. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you remember that or not. I do remember that. And I, I remember vividly the, um, ex, you know, my experiences of coming out to Delphi when both you and Candy were out there. And, and I feel certain that that was the time, the first time I met you. Yeah, I remember that. And I'd, I'd heard of you and I, I knew you'd been at North Central and things like that, but that was certainly cool. And I remember watching rehearsal that day and it was in a gymnasium and these, uh, it was middle school only. And so my buddy Ryan Glaze was at Tri-County and we we're just looking for ways to bring middle school kids together and, and make music together and for fun. And those schools yeah. were similar size. And Yep. So. I remember, I remember that clearly. In fact, I remember the environment clearly. It's, but there's been a lot of water under the bridge since then, hasn't there? Certainly has been. And so, uh, so we're going to, today we're going to, there's a lot of podcasts out there, but the whole point of this one is focusing on, on Indiana and um, some really cool things about our musical you know, band history and music history really in Indiana. And so I thought it would only be fitting if we formatted this like a basketball game, since we're in Indiana, of course. That's so, perfect. Absolutely. So we're going to break down this into four quarters and we're going to work our way through each quarter and each quarter is going to be a part of your career and we can feel free to spend as much time on each section as we wish. So, okay, great. Sounds like a great format. So you're ready to go. So first quarter, um, we're going to talk about your experiences growing up. So if we can begin with that, if you could just um, let me know, fill us in on where you grew up. Okay. Um, Well, first of all, when I was, uh, when I was a young child, my mom and dad, um, lived in this small little bedroom community just outside of Indianapolis called Carmel. And uh, so my older brothers and my sister all graduated from Carmel High School. And um, I came along in our family. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I would call myself an accident, but I was much younger than my next oldest brother. And so um, in 1967, though, a tragic event happened in our family and my father passed away. He was um, diagnosed with pancreatic cancer at the age of 40 years old. And uh, so my father died, and then my mother took a job um, in a nursing home, actually working for my uncle. My uh, uncle and my father had planned to go into the nursing home business together, and so my mom became part of this. And we picked up from Carmel, and we moved to a small town in west central Indiana called Ladoga. And Ladoga, Indiana, at the time, I think the population was right around a thousand people. And 
at that time, there was still a Ladoga High School and a Ladoga Elementary. And so that's uh, where I moved when I was uh, a young uh, a young boy. This was would have been in third grade. And eventually, I think the date was 1971, um, this was in the heart of the uh, a huge uh, consolidation movement within the state of Indiana. And so several communities in southern Montgomery County consolidated into one high school, and that was Southmont High School. And uh, I was still in grade school at the time, but Southmont was born. Um, I had an elementary music teacher by the name of Mary Ellen Simpers. And Mrs. Simpers was just an incredibly uh, fine uh, music educator and band director. Um, she traveled to the various elementary schools in Southern Montgomery County. And um, she's, what, she's the person that I uh, attribute to getting me uh, really excited about music and about playing because she just challenged me um, so much when I was in a sixth grade band, Mrs. Simpers had challenged all of us to learn all of our major scales, and we started uh, taking playing tests and playing our major scales. And then once we we got hold of that, she started working on minor scales with us. And um, I don't know, it was just a really interesting and fun time. Um, first instrument I played, however, was the saxophone. And uh, yeah, so uh, interestingly enough, um, my mother bought a saxophone for me from a neighbor. I think she paid $75 and it was an old Vito saxophone. And that was my first instrument. Um, so, so you started band in elementary school then? Yes, I did. I started in, actually started in fifth grade. Fifth grade on saxophone. Right. Wow. And so yep. that was like alto saxophone, I assume? That is correct. And in my little band in Ladoga Elementary School, there were five of us in the elementary band. And, uh, you know, I don't know the numbers of the students in New Ross uh, Elementary or Walnut Township, I guess. And Waveland. Uh, Newmarket was the biggest elementary school, so there were quite a few students there. Um, but Mrs. Simpers, uh, I won't say that she pitted us against one another, but she would always come in and tell me that, uh, you know, there was a flute player at Waveland by the name of Molly Moody, and uh, Mrs. Simpers would say, well, Molly Moody learned all of, her, all of her sharp scales last week, and so I just felt compelled to keep up with Molly Moody. And um, she was a really good motivator for all of us. So you were in fifth and sixth grade. In sixth grade, you're practicing your saxophone on all your major and minor scales. That's correct. In Little Ladoga Elementary School. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was and, crazy. And so then uh, when did, was it, so Southmont is probably like, is it seven, was it seven through 12, all one building at that point? Yeah, that's correct. Um, it was a junior, senior high school. So um, I... Uh, moved to Southmont High School when I was in seventh grade, and all of the all of us who were in band programs in these respective elementary schools joined together, and we made one seventh grade band. And I bet there were probably, which is I think pretty remarkable compared to to today, there must have been sixty or seventy of us uh, in a in a eventually in a junior high band. I, there were many in the seventh grade band, but then. Uh, eventually, we became came in an uh, eighth and I think it was an eighth and ninth grade band, and it was much bigger. But um, there were lots and lots of kids at Southmont in the junior high level, at least, involved in the band program. And so, your time. What was the music teacher's name again in elementary? Her name. Her name was Mary Ellen Simpers. 
And so then when you went to Southmont, did you get a new band director then or did she yes. take there? Okay. No, was- I did. Yeah, I got a new band director at Southmont. It was a gentleman by the name of Tabor Stamper. And Tabor was the band director who opened Southmont High School in 1971. And Tabor had just graduated from uh, Indiana University. He was a trombone player. And actually, he was the former drum major of the Marching Hundred. And uh, Tabor came to Southmont to start a band there. And uh, if you know the name Tabor Stamper, he went on to do incredible things in the music industry. He eventually became the uh, CEO of um, Jupiter uh, Musical Instruments. He also had a big job at Con Selmer at one point. And uh, so Tabor went on to do great things in the music industry, but he was my seventh grade band director. And how, was he your band director through all of your junior and high, high and high school years or did that change? No, it actually changed my... Um, Changed the very next year, actually. Uh, Tabor left Southmont, I think, after three years to go into a graduate program, and they hired a new band director by the name of Terry Austin. And uh, Terry, just like Tabor, was a was fresh out of IU. He was a trombone player, and uh, Terry um, was my eighth grade band director. And he he didn't stay very long at Southmont either. I think he only stayed two years, and then. Um, he went on to a graduate program at the University of Hawaii. And then a gentleman by the name of Bill Pierce became the high school band director when I was a sophomore. But uh, Terry Austin was a, I, I was privileged to have three really fine high school band directors, uh, junior high and high school band directors when I was there. And uh, Terry was the one actually who moved me from a saxophone player uh, to a tuba player. And the way all that happened is that, uh, of course, Terry was, uh, unlike a lot of band directors, was looking for another tuba player for the marching band. And so he actually approached me one day and asked me if I might consider playing tuba and marching band. And I thought, sure, I'll give it a shot. So he sent me, sent me home with a fiberglass tuba. And next week I came back and I had monkeyed around with the tuba and I told Mr. Austin that I was ready to play for him. And um, I really took to the tuba very quickly. I learned how to play it fast, and um, that became my primary instrument and still is to this day. Wow, so that's uh, <clears throat> that's very interesting. And so all those major minor scales on the saxophone probably paid off for you, I guess, as you made I the guess, transition there. <laughs> I guess so. But you know when that where that really paid off for me, actually, was when I became a band director because I had all this knowledge about playing woodwind instruments. I not only played saxophone, but I had, I had migrated to clarinet and I was doing clarinet playing and bass clarinet playing when I was in junior high as well. So, you know, I had a pretty solid grasp on some of the woodwind instruments at least. And then I migrated to the tuba and um, my goodness, when I became a music education student at Indiana uh, in my techniques classes, the, the uh, clarinet and saxophone techniques classes were a piece of cake for me. And so that's, as far as band directors go, you had a really great, just variety of band directors too. And yeah. um, so what, what other things about the program can you tell us? What, what are your memories of high school and junior high band as far as performances and things that you did and places that you went and things like that? Well, I loved high school band. Uh, in fact, I loved band period. And, um, you know, you talk about my having a real diverse group of band directors 
Yes and no. Um, all of them came from Indiana University. All three were trombone players. And, um, but they all had different passions. You know, Terry's passion was concert band. Bill Pierce was all in when it came to marching band. And, um, you know, so, so some of my fondest memories, honestly, were um, that go back to those early days in high school when the Southmont Band was just beginning to compete uh, in the Indiana State Fair Marching Band Contest. So, um, you know, we were doing things like going to the Delaware County Fair and, uh, you know, and competing at, uh, competing in Class B and um, uh, with marginal success. Uh, but when Bill Pierce came my sophomore year, the program really took off. And Bill um, had, a, again, a passion for marching band. He really had a uh, – Bill was also a talented arranger. And so he arranged music that was very appropriate for a high school band. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden, um, the Southmont band, uh, we found ourselves in the top 16 for the first time in our history, placing 13th. And uh, that, that program, for the longest time, and I think still is to some degree, um, totally invested in the state fair. And... Uh, you know, so that's what that's where a lot of my memories are in, in high school. But I also um, had some really good friends in high school who were very talented musicians. A young man by the name of Joe Ventro, he was my best friend in high school, and he was a very gifted euphonium player. And Joe and I sort of fed off each other. We really, you know, we would play duets together at lunchtime and um, one year, Joe decided he was going to go to the Indiana University Summer Music Clinic. And uh, the next year, Joe really encouraged me to attend. And man, my life was changed forever. But bef before I go, uh, before I talk about that, I do want to mention the fact that in my freshman year in high school, we had this event called the Montgomery County Music Festival, which was all three high school bands combined uh, on one day the directors brought in a guest conductor for the day and uh, the guest conductor, my freshman year in high school, it was in 1976 was a gentleman by the name of Ray Kramer. And Mr. Kramer was in his early thirties at that time. And he conducted our band. And, and after that, I was absolutely hooked on being a music major, going to Indiana university. I was so taken by Ray Kramer and what he did with that band all day long that, uh, you know, IU was for me. So went to the IU Music Clinic and I had the pleasure of being in Mr. Kramer's bands uh, for three years at the IU Music Camp. And, um, you know, that, that, that was what really, really motivated me to become a, a band director. Well, and you, you kind of covered when you decided you want to be a teacher, were there ever any other things that you considered prior to that? Uh, actually, there weren't. You know, I had no interest in pursuing anything other than music of some kind. I think I was hooked. Um, if I can go back in my life a little bit, I think I was hooked when my brother and sister-in-law took me to the Indiana State Fair Marching Man Contest. And this would have been in the late 1960s because my, my sister-in-law was actually... Um, in the pom-pom squad at Carmel High School, they were called the Coquettes. 
And uh, so my brother Jeff took me to the state fair and we watched the Carmel High School band at the state fair. And I got to tell you, I was absolutely hooked after that. You know, every, I loved music. I just was fascinated by marching bands and uh, bands in general. So uh, there was never really anything else that I wanted to do but be a band director. Well, at state fair in those days, you said that you, you, in high school, you guys were, was it 13th at one point? Yes. And, yep. you know, that that's a relatively young school um, at that time. Breaking into the Sweet 16 had to be a, a really big deal for the community, I'm sure. Oh, it was. It was a huge thing for our community. And uh, those were back in the days. This would have been in the mid-1970s when huge numbers of Indiana high school bands were still competing in the state fair. You know, my earliest memory of a state fair champion was the year Newcastle High School won the state fair. And then I believe the next year was maybe Greenwood and then Norwell High School. And, um, you know, those were some glory days of the state fair marching band contest for sure. And, of course, Anderson Highland, with the Madison County um, was a hotbed of competitive marching bands back in those days. Well, and by having State Fair as part of the band day as part of State Fair, like bands were very much a part of just the popular, like knowledge of everyone because State Fair was just such a big deal for kids oh, all yeah. around the state. Yeah, I, I remember going to the State Fair marching band contest. Our buses would pull into the into the infield, and at eight o'clock in the morning, the grandstands were filled. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, as you would march up to the up to the starting line. Um, the grandstands were completely packed with fans from every school. And there were these uh, almost uh, overflow grandstands that came down along the track so folks could watch the bands as they came down. It was such a big deal. And imagine a high school, a freshman in high school coming in there and performing on that track for literally thousands and thousands of people. Um, It was a big rush. You can imagine why, Students just fell in love with it. Well, and every every school had that crowd, right? So you can be from a the maybe the not the best band, and from right. not on a big school, and still have a tremendous crowd. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. It was a, it was a it was for me it was life changing. Um, you know, the first time we pulled in there, I was so scared and nervous, and when I saw that crowd, it it just. You know, it just put my no- nerves over the top. I couldn't believe I was going to be performing in front of so many people. That's all so much fun to hear about. It's a, something you almost can't imagine if you weren't there, I'm sure. But it, uh-huh. you did a good job of describing how it kind of impacted, you know. And so many band directors um, your age, you know, had, had that experience is what maybe brought them into the profession. Oh, initially. you know, I, I think that's the case. And you think about a lot of the, old-time veteran band directors in our state who got their start um, competing at the state fair. You know, I talked about Madison County, and so you're talking about John Parshall and Jim Patton. You're talking about Don Hoffman. Um, uh, Steve Varnell, who was at Richmond High School for many, many years. These are names that I remember. Jim Craig at Wapahani. Um, and, and I could go on and on and on. But these are band directors whom I grew up respecting it, admiring, you know, having watched their bands compete uh, for many years and then eventually got to know many of them and call them my personal friends. It's just almost 
too much to imagine that 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 could have ever happened, you know? Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Well, that's really interesting. I appreciate all that. Um, So we're going to move on to the second quarter of our, of our um, hypothetical basketball game here, talking about college and your early career. So we've already talked about IU and, and it, it appears as if you didn't look at any other schools. That was one of my questions, but you were hooked early on. Is that correct? Well, yes and no. I was hooked early on, but I also had a private teacher. And my private tuba teacher was a man by the name of Dan Corrigan. And Mr. Corrigan was the tubist in the Indianapolis Symphony. And uh, Mr. Corrigan really put the screws to me early on. He wanted me to attend. He taught at Butler and he also taught at Indiana State. And he wanted me to attend one of those schools so he could, so he and I could keep working together. So, um, I actually showed some interest in attending Butler and uh, ISU. I was playing in a group in the summer called the Central Indiana Wind Ensemble that um, the director of bands at Butler was uh, conducting in the summertime. And, uh, but deep down, you know, deep down, I knew I wanted to go to uh, IU. Um, one, a name that I didn't bring up to you was somebody who became an assistant, if you will, assistant band director at Southmont. She eventually took Mary Ellen Simper's place when Mrs. Simper's retired. And uh, she was really an important figure in my early life as a musician. And that was Darlene York, who became Darlene Pratt, Steve Pratt at Indiana University's wife. Um, Darlene became my accompanist for solo and ensemble contest. She became a personal friend with my family and uh, she was just a regular fixture in our home. And, uh, you know, I remember having a conversation with Darlene about looking at other schools and she just, she just said to me, you're not going anywhere else, but Indiana university. (laughs) So (laughs) in her mind, uh, there was absolutely no other option for me, but to go to IU. That's fine. She was recruiting before she was a part of the IU, you know, family, so to speak. Oh yeah. But yeah. she was an I, she was an IU graduate, of course. So she had a passion for it too. And so you ultimately chose IU and, and um, so when you were at IU, we've already talked about Mr. Kramer a little bit. I know he was a huge part of uh, your IU years as well, but right. so kind of walk me through the ensembles you were in and the conductors you got to work with and some of those IU memories. Yeah. Well, first of all, my tuba teacher was Harvey Phillips and uh, Mr. Phillips was a, he was an icon, a legend in the, in the field of tuba performance and pedagogy and actually in promoting the instrument. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot from Harvey Phillips. He, I love Mr. Phillips. Um, He was a great teacher and a great mentor. And he was a man who not only, um, he loved his students and you could tell it, but he was also passionate about the tuba. Um, and then uh, when I, when I first went to Indiana, I started playing in the marching hundred, which was really my first ensemble experience there. And what a glorious thing, you know, I had been in my smallish Southmont high school band and now I was in a big time college marching band with 20 tuba players. And, um, you know, we were marching in, Memorial Stadium, and it was just really a spectacular experience for me. Um, 
And on a personal note, my first, I guess it was my third day of marching band camp, um, I met a colleague um, uh, by the name of Carolyn France. And Carolyn was an oboe player, and also in the School of Music, music education major. But in marching band, Carolyn played the sousaphone, interestingly enough. And so I met Carolyn, and uh, to move ahead a few years, Carolyn became my wife. So Carolyn and I dated for four years in college. We got married after we graduated, and we're married 26 years until she passed away in 2009. Um, but at, at Indiana, I also played in a variety of concert bands. I played in a concert band with Ray Kramer. I played in a concert band with Will England. Um, eventually, as my playing progressed a little bit, I had some more advanced opportunities. I played in I played in orchestras from time to time in Indiana. Um, I also played in the symphonic band, which at the time was the top concert band. I played under Fred Ebbs, who was the director of bands at the time. Um, so I had a variety of experiences with conductors and in ensembles. Uh, one of the most defining ensembles I played in, however, was um, the brass choir under the direction of trumpet teacher Bill Adam. And uh, Mr. Adam, if you know anything about IU, uh, trumpet teaching was just an icon there. And boy, he, he taught his players really how to use their air effectively. So my, my colleague Mike Salzman and I would leave those brass choir rehearsals just exhausted because we had been just moving so much air for two hours. It was, but in, in hindsight, that was one of the greatest things that happened to me musically. So you had some great, just some great teachers in nearly just every way from, right. from the first day on campus all the way through. I did. And, you know, I, I can go back through my experience at Indiana and I could talk about um, faculty who really had an influence on me outside of the band department, you know, outside of my tuba studio. Um, but, you know, the school was and still is um, just filled with incredibly talented faculty. And, and that was my experience when I was an undergrad for sure. So once you, uh, we're nearing graduation. Uh, did you just did you decide to teach immediately, or did you consider grad school or other things? No, um, I decided to teach immediately. Um, what I wanted to do was I wanted to leave Indiana and I wanted to find a high school band job someplace, and I wanted to have a state fair champion high school marching band. That was my that was my goal. I'm you sorry. Know, sorry. Sorry. You failed at that main goal in your life there. I did. I know, you know, <laughs> in my, in my entire should we, career. Should we enter in the interview now and just, <laughs> <laughs> well, in my entire career, um, amazingly enough, I never took a high school band to the state fair marching band contest. Not one time. Um, I lived vicariously through my really dear friend, Doug Fletcher. Um, <laughs> Doug and I had worked together at Southmont during the summers uh, when I was in college. I had I was on staff with Jim Patton in the Southmont band in the summertime, and Doug came over to work, and Doug and I became really good friends. And so when Doug started teaching, of course, he was taking bands to the state winning championships. So I just lived vicariously through him. But um, <laughs> you know, since Carolyn and I got married in 1983. 
Um, and Carolyn was originally from Roanoke, Virginia. Um, we decided that we were going to try to move close to her family or uh, extended family someplace in the southeast. So Jim Patton, who was at Southmont, put me in touch with his, uh, a really good friend of his by the name of Joe Scagnoli. And Joe is the director of bands at Western Carolina University at the time. So Carolyn and I made a trip to Cullowee, North Carolina, and we met with Joe Scagnoli. And uh, Joe kind of had it in his mind that perhaps Carolyn and I would be interested in coming to Western and going to graduate school there, but that wasn't really what we had in mind. So I talked to him about, you know, some about looking for jobs in the Southeast, and he reached on his desk and took a program and handed it to me. And the, the program was a high school of a high school band who had just played at the Midwest Clinic. Um, it was Hardaway High School in Columbus, Georgia. And he said, I want you to look at this program. He said, they have an assistant band director job open at this school. He said, this is something that you ought to look at. So I was sitting there and Joe Scagnoli picked up the phone and called Bill Ferris at Hardaway High School. And the next thing I knew, I had an interview for a job in Columbus, Georgia. So the next week, Carolyn and I drove to Columbus, Georgia, and I interviewed for the job at Hardaway High School. So you had already, so you graduated and you were finished and then your job hunt had started or were you still actually finishing up student teaching and all that? Um, I had just finished student teaching. So this would have been in May, um, had no job yet. Um, so that's when Carolyn and I made our trek down to Columbus. Uh, I, listen, I had, I didn't know anything about Columbus, Georgia, and I didn't really know anything about the Hardaway High School band. And I'm almost embarrassed to say this. I didn't know anything about the Midwest Clinic. I had never been. And I had gone all the way through my years of college without attending the Midwest. Um, so I did a lot of homework and found out what a big deal all of it was. And uh, I went into the, the, I arrived at Hardaway High School and I think it's Bill Ferris um, organized the day very strategically because the first thing I did that day was I attended a rehearsal of the Hardaway Symphonic Band. This was the band that played at Midwest the year before. And I walked into the rehearsal and the band started warming up on treasury of scales and I had never heard any high school band play like that in my life. It was magnificent. And after the rehearsal, Carolyn and I walked out and I said, wow, if I get this job, I gotta take this. And uh, the Hardaway High School job changed the trajectory of my life probably more than anything um, from the perspective that when I moved to Georgia, my love for the concert band um, changed dramatically. And the perspective the high school bands had in Georgia at the time was that um, they all went to maybe one or two uh, marching band contests a year. And that was it. So, you know, we did our contest, went to football games, but that concert, that symphonic band and my concert band met every single day of the year, starting on day one. And, uh, and my, my, at the end of that year, I was just, I had a passion for concert band teaching and concert band work. And that changed my life forever. And quite frankly, Rick, that's why, um, uh, I think I only had one high school band in my career where I actually competed with the band. Um, 
And I just wasn't interested in doing that anymore. How long were you at Hardaway? Uh, I was at Hardaway for a whopping one year, actually. <laughs> wow. That was it. That was it. And, and the summer after that, I came back home to visit my mom and um, made a trip down to Bloomington to see Mr. Kramer and see Mr. Ebbs and, and uh, you know, just sort of uh, reminisce at, at IU a little bit. So I ran into Mr. Ebbs and he called me into his office and he said, Jay-Z, what are you doing next year? And I said, well, Mr. Ebbs, I'm going back to Hardaway High School. And he said, there's a job that I really want you to look at. And uh, I, was, I was pretty hesitant to even talk to him about it because I loved my job in Columbus. You know, we were just starting to hit our stride there. And um, Carolyn actually got a job also as the orchestra director at the high school. So we were both teaching, um, you know, we both had made friends in Columbus, but anyway, Mr. Ebbs had, um, he wanted me to take an interview at Hobart High School up in Northwest Indiana. And of course, you know, the history of the Hobart band program, it was a powerhouse concert band program dating all the way back to the days when Ravelli started the band there. So, um, you know, kind of like the year before, Mr. Ebbs picks up the phone and calls Richard Barrick, who's the principal at Hardaway High School, and the next thing I know, the next day, I'm on my way to Hobart, Indiana, to interview for the band job at Hobart High School. So you just stop by IU to see teachers and say hi, and next thing you know, you're looking yeah. at Hobart. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly how it happened. And um, you know, I was, you know, gosh, I was 23 years old when I accepted the job at Hobart High School. Before we yeah. go on to Hobart, did you, uh, you mentioned how, how the, the year, you know, in Georgia really changed your perspective. Do you have just a favorite memory from that year that you comes to mind? Um, say that again. I'm sorry. You, you mentioned how your time in Georgia, the one year really kind of changed your, your thoughts yeah, of just right. the band program. Do you have a favorite memory or event that you did during that year there that comes well, to mind? Yeah, Bill, Bill gave me a lot of opportunities as an assistant director. You know, I got to conduct that symphonic band on numerous occasions. And um, the, uh, the band family at Hardaway was very, very special. Um, you know, the band parent organization was just terrific. Everything about the program, uh, the, the, the program just worked like clockwork. And there were lots of students taking private lessons at Columbus, what's now Columbus State University, but it's Columbus College. It's right across the highway from our high school. Um, but that year, the band played all uh, played at the National MENC convention, which was in Chicago. So they went back to Chicago to play again. And uh, you know, it's just one thing after another. Just magnificent music. Uh, exposure to repertoire that I didn't, that I never knew or never even thought about conducting, but the high, Hardaway High School band could play. I'm telling you, they could play just about anything. Those kids were so talented, and uh, that's sort of what what changed my life. Um, I don't think I would have ever considered coming back to Indiana and going to Hobart High School if Hobart had been a competitive marching band, because my mindset had already changed and I was not. That was not what was driving me at that point. So then one of your, one of your biggest mentors kind of steers you towards Hobart. You're interviewing, you take the job, 
and you're off to off to northern Indiana. So, correct. Um, w- one of the incentives for going to Hobart, you know, I think for me at that stage in my life and with my ego, um, you know, I wanted to be a head band director. And in hindsight, uh, if I would do it all over again, and I I don't mean this in a bad way against my experience at Hobart, but I would have stayed at Hardaway High School for many, many more years. Um, I had so much more to learn, but, uh, you know, I was just so excited about having a band program of my own to run. And on top of that, um, I think I, I think I earned maybe $12,000 more a year by moving from Columbus, Georgia to Northwest Indiana. My starting salary at Hardaway High School was $12,250. And that was for the year. And when I went to Hobart, my, my salary literally doubled. I was making almost $25,000 a year, which in those days, this would have been in the mid-1980s, was a fair sum of money for somebody my age. Yeah, for sure. So how, how long were you at Hobart? Um, I was at Hobart for two years. Um, and then I decided I was going to go to graduate school, which I did. So at, um, before um, you know, the, the Hobart high school experience for me was great. Um, got me the opportunity to get my feet wet a little bit as a uh, head band director. And, uh, but I wanted to go back to graduate school, which I did after two years at Hobart and um, ended up going back and was a graduate assistant in the band department at IU. What were the biggest differences for you between Hardaway and Hobart, the two years at Hobart? What was Hobart like? How was, what, was, what condition was the band in? Uh, Hobart was radically different. Uh, the condition of the Hobart High School band at that point was um, there had been some uh, real unfortunate turmoil leading up to um, the time when I took over the program. And so there was some rebuilding that had to happen there. And, uh, you know, so I went from a program, as I said, that worked like clockwork to one that I basically had to rebuild the clock. And, uh, you know, I had some incredibly great students. And actually, my bands at Hobart High School were pretty good. Uh, you know, they weren't Midwest, Midwest Clinic caliber, but the uh, um, Hobart High School band through its history had had some really fine bands. In fact, 1968, I think, was the last year the Hobart High School band played at Midwest. But, um, you know, the community was still absolutely over the top about the band program there. So the community was incredibly supportive of me and of the band program. So then on to grad school and um, more time at IU. Right. Um, Decided to change my focus a little bit when I went to graduate school. Uh, I got a degree in performance, tuba performance instead of music education. And this was before the days of uh, when conducting degrees. Um, there really weren't many programs around the country offering wind conducting degrees. And, uh, so I wanted to go back and I studied with Mr. Phillips again for two more years. And um, when I went into my uh, first lesson, he asked me, you know, point blank, what I wanted to get out of my master's degree. And so I explained to him that I wanted to become a more proficient player. I wanted to understand, um, uh, you know, the performance of music better. Uh, but I also knew that after teaching 
there were some deficiencies in my undergraduate background that I, I needed some help with. Um, I felt totally uh, inferior in front of a jazz program, in front of a jazz band of any kind. I'd never played in a jazz band. I didn't understand jazz music. I didn't understand chord changes, all that kind of stuff. And the only education I really had was through coursework I had as an undergraduate. So make a long story short, Harvey started assigning me to be the tubist in uh, IU jazz ensembles. So I played in a wind ensemble, um, and I also played, or I also was a graduate assistant with the Marching 100, but then I was also assigned to be the tuba player in jazz bands with people like Dominic Spear and David Baker. So that's, that's a, that was a huge difference for your master's then, as not only becoming a better tubist uh, with someone like him, but having yeah. those experiences. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I didn't do a lot of playing as a tubist in a jazz band. And so what I did was I sat back and did a lot of listening. Um, so, listened. so you, oh, so you go to the rehearsals no matter what, really? Yeah, I did. Far. Yeah. I sit back and listen and, um, I, I, you know, sit there and listen to, to Dominic and David Baker teach, um, listen to my colleagues around me playing in jazz style and improvising and all this kind of stuff. And I just tried to soak in as much as I possibly could. It was, it was, it was a great thing for me, honestly. And some people talk about if you're doing your master's to try and go somewhere that's new to you and different, but you didn't find that necessary at all for what you were going after at that time. No, huh? No, not at all. I, I was per perfectly content going to IU and being there with those people. Um, you know, when I left Hobart, uh, uh, Ray Kramer actually offered me a graduate assistantship with the Marching 100. Um, I think Ray wanted me to come back to Indiana, and so I did. And, and you mentioned the wind conducting. That's more, in those days, your choices were more like uh, music education or uh, some sort of an instrument like you did. There wasn't really right. Yeah, right. Yep. Um, I had to get a master's, uh, totally a master's in music ed. And um, that wasn't really something that interested me. I wasn't excited about research and music education. And that was the beginning. The master's program was really the beginning of that. And so um, this degree in performance for me was a much better fit. So then you finished your master's. Was that a one or a two year stint? It was a two year stint. And um, then I, I got a job um, in the suburbs of Chicago at Wheeling High School. Uh, Wheeling is a far northwest suburb beyond O'Hare. And there, the Wheeling High School band had a wonderful history. Um, but it was, it was where one of my, my professors had taught. Kevin Castens was the band director at Wheeling High School. And Kevin helped me to get that job. And um, the wheeling program was, it was a good experience for me. And I really enjoyed my students, but it wasn't a great fit. Um, it was a, what they wanted at Wheeling High School was a big powerhouse competitive marching band. And as I said earlier, that was just not in my wheelhouse. So I really struggled to do that. And uh, at the end of my year at wheeling, we found out that we were expecting our first child. And um, the cost of living was very expensive in the Chicago suburbs, and we were com we were committed to um, Carolyn staying home and being a stay-at-home mom. So 
the job at Hobart High School opened back up, and I decided um, to go back to Indiana, so I took that job again and spent three years at Hobart High School. So five years in total, but you yeah, had a, you had a three-year break. So really, it was like going to a new school in many ways. As far right. as stu- students, you knew some faculty. Right. Maybe. Yeah, and I also knew, you know, at that point, I knew a bunch of the kids in the high school band because they were in the junior high when I left the high school. Gotcha. So I knew some of them, and I knew some of their older brothers and sisters. What was the biggest difference for you the second time at Hobart? Um, yeah, I was a lot more, a lot more mature, a lot more grown up. I was a little bit more realistic in my expectations. Um, I was a much better teacher and, um, I was able to, uh, take students where they were, I think, and try to get them to progress, um, without, how can I say this without being frustrated because they didn't play at such a very high level. I think maybe my first stint at Hobart, the, one of my biggest challenges is I had just come from Hardaway High School where the kids played at such a high level. And so uh, I just became pretty frustrated. And it wasn't fair to the kids. It was just my own hang up. So how did the transition to North Central happen? What, what drew you to that job? Were you, were you looking or was it just something that popped up unexpectedly? No, I wasn't looking. Um, I actually was working at the IU Summer Music Clinic at the time. And I ran into uh, a gentleman who had become one of my dearest friends at the music clinic at the first meeting. His name was Dick Dennis. And Dick and I had been working at the music clinic for many years together. And he came up to me and he said, hey, what are you doing next year? And I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm at Hobart High School. And he said, uh, he told me about the opening at North Central. And, uh, you know, Dick encouraged me to apply for this job. And I had known about the North Central program to some extent, but, uh, you know, I had, I had heard the North Central wind ensemble at state finals a couple times. Didn't know Sam Rinesmith personally, but I was intrigued by uh, Dick's encouragement because I knew what kind of program he had at North Central. And so, uh, a couple weeks later, I was interviewing for the job at North Central, and then lo and behold, I was offered the position. So I left my job in Hobart, and I went moved Indianapolis to North Central, and it was, uh, it, was a, it was a huge blessing for me and for our family. I know you were at North Central for three years. That's, that's correct. That's correct, right, right. And, and that's the first job, I think, that you followed someone that had been there for a long time. Sam had been there for 27 years. What was it like following someone that had been there so long? Well, the, you know, Sam had built such a legacy at North Central. And uh, the thing that I loved about that program right off the bat was everybody in that school wanted to be the best they could be. And so I was surrounded by people like Pat Weehy and Dick Dennis and other people throughout the school who were committed to excellence. And... Man, I just absolutely thrived in that environment. I loved it. Loved being around the kids. Um, but more than that, I just felt motivated uh, by all these other faculty members. It was, it was quite the experience. 
Now, I've had many conversations with you about <coughs> North Central, of course, but, um, and so I, I know some of your stories, but do you have a, a favorite memory or two just from those, those years you'd like to share? Uh-huh, I do. Um, there are two things about the North Central program that stand out to me. Um, it, was, it was the program that actually gave me my sea legs as a jazz band director. Um, we started competing heavily and going to jazz festivals around the Midwest. And um, my jazz bands were really good. And they were really good because I had some really great players. But I also, for the first time in my life, felt like I knew what I was doing. And uh, that I could actually bring a jazz ensemble along, that I could teach my kids how to play, write style, and so forth. So that was, that was one, of my, um, one of my best memories. Um, and also, uh, the incredible students. I had the opportunity to teach at North Central High School. You know, the state finals competition and concert band was a really important thing to every ensemble, actually, in the school, to Pat Weehy and to Dick Dennis and uh, to the band folks. But um, my last year there, we were able to finish second at state finals behind Bob Beller and Valparaiso. And um, I had fallen in love with my students and we had such a great relationship um, that when the opportunity presented itself for me to come to Purdue, uh, I really struggled with leaving North Central to do that, to make that happen. Well, that's uh, fun to hear about the jazz in particular. I, I, I know that the, I know you had some great bands and, and I hadn't thought about the connection with your masters and all the jazz influence you had with that time in your life following um, your going into North Central after that had to be had to be a cool opportunity for you. It was. It was incredible. All right. So now we're going to go, we're going to take a break from the, from the questions here. And, okay. and uh, the whole halftime activity as a band director, you know, our, our role as band directors is usually to provide that halftime activity. So mm -hmm. I, I warned you that you're going to provide that for us. I wanted to just give you an opportunity tonight. The question to Jay was uh, to talk about your favorite song um, that you um, have as a, as a band director. So if you want to just entertain us a bit with that, Jay. Okay. Um, I had to give this a great deal of thought, actually, because I have so many compositions that I love and that I'm really passionate about. Um, you know, I'm passionate about El Camino Real because I played that with my North Central Symphonic Wind Ensemble at State Finals my last year, and it was a uh, such a special number to me and to the kids. And, uh, but I think probably my all time favorite is a piece that Julie Giroux wrote a few years ago by the name of bookmarks from Japan. Um, I love the story behind bookmarks. The fact that Ray and Molly Kramer brought Julie a gift back from Japan. And it was set a set of beautifully painted bookmarks and that Julie laid these bookmarks out on the table after she opened the gift and she looked at Ray and Molly and said, this is my next symphony. And so Julie took the inspiration for that symphony from those special bookmarks that Ray and Molly gave her and created a composition that I think is just, just well crafted and beautiful. And um, I, I don't know. I think, 
I have enjoyed working on that composition about as much as any in my career. And then the performance of the Purdue Wind Ensemble at Carnegie Hall playing bookmarks from Japan with Ray Kramer conducting it is one of my all-time favorite memories of my life. Do you remember the first time you heard the piece performed? Yeah, I do. I remember it vividly. Um, Ray had conducted the piece with his Musashino Academy Ensemble in Japan and sent me a recording of it. And I remember hearing the composition and I just, I fell in love with it, particularly the fifth movement because it's so stunningly beautiful. And there are very few composers uh, writing for bands today who can um, compose beautiful music that touches my heart. Uh, uh, like Julie Giroux, she, uh, she has the ability to really make an impact on me through the beautiful music she writes. That's a great, that's a great memory for you. And, and the Carnegie Hall, you mentioned you got to hear um, Mr. Kramer conduct it with your own band. So. Right. And yeah. have you, have you gotten to conduct it yourself as well? Yes, I got to conduct it myself. Um, I gave a concert on Purdue's campus where I got to do it. So uh, that was very, uh, that was very cool for me. But to have my, my mentor, my college band director conduct my band at Carnegie Hall on such a wonderful work was truly a memory that I'll have with me for the rest of my life. That's wonderful. So were you backstage or did you just get to go out in the hall and, and listen to it? No, I was right backstage. And, um, you know, the Carnegie Hall experience is I, the experience I've done that two times in my career. Um, you know, th th this was the first time actually that I stood backstage and listened to somebody conduct my band. Um, so it was, but knowing, you know, knowing that Ray was out there conducting, I had no anxiety at all because I knew that he was in total control of that band. That's great. Well, thanks for sharing that. It's really You're interesting. You're welcome. All right. So now we're going to move on to the third quarter. So we're going on to your, your current job um, at Purdue. So we learned a little bit of how you, you know, it was tough for you to, to uh, leave your, your job before at North Central, but you made that decision. Um, how did you learn about the job at Purdue to even start that process? Well, one of the, one of my friends from graduate school was, uh, Lissa Fleming, um, who Lissa is of course now Lissa May and Lissa and I became just dear friends when we were in graduate school. We were both graduate assistants with the marching hundred and Lissa was working as the jazz director at Purdue at the time. So when the job came open, um, you know, she and I talked about my applying for it and, I decided, okay, I, one of my goals in my profession was to be a college band director. And my wife and I had decided pretty much that I was not going to go back to graduate school uh, again um, anytime soon. We had started our family. We had, our, we had two children at the time. And so financially, we just weren't prepared to go back to graduate school. So I thought, well, this might be the opportunity for me to get into college teaching without having to have a DMA. So that's how I found out about the job. And how was your first year there, the transition from high school to college and things like that? Um, I, I had a really rough year, my first year. And it had nothing to do with the college kids at Purdue or the staff or anybody like that. Um, they were terrific. You know, the Purdue kids, you know, that's one thing I've learned over 25 years of teaching at Purdue is we've got some of the finest students anywhere in the world. But um, uh, part of my struggle was the fact that I just grieved for my North Central High School students so much 
that uh, I really missed being at North Central. I missed the kids. I missed my colleagues. And quite frankly, I had some pretty deep regret for taking the job at Purdue. I felt like I'd made a huge error uh, professionally by leaving North Central to go to Purdue. Well, and that's actually when I met you. I remember actually having a conversation with you, not to that, not to this degree, but but just that you you were working with middle school kids at my school, and and uh, you were you were in a public school working with kids during the day, and that just mm-hmm. kind of came up casually in our conversation. Yeah, so, it was a, it was a hard transition for me. And how long how long did it take you to to kind of you know move through that? How many? Well, well, the end of that year. Um, Mike Fisk, who took my place, and Mike is one of my dearest friends. Um, you know, Mike decided that uh, working at North Central was not a, perhaps not a good fit for him, and so he he went back to his old job in Morris, Illinois, and uh, had a conversation with C.E. Quant, who was the principal at North Central at the time. And C.E. actually asked me what it would take for me to come back to North Central, and I I really considered it. I went back to my wife Carolyn, and she and I had a long conversation about this, and. Um, uh, it all came down to the fact that I had, I, the reason I came to Purdue in the first place was to be a college band director. And we decided that I really needed to give this a chance. Um, you know, I did quite a bit of job hopping early in my career. I was at Hardaway for a year, Hobart for two, then graduate school for two, and then Hobart for three and North Central for three. And we just had a, a real commitment at that point to maybe staying someplace long enough where I could give the job a chance. And so that's why I decided to um, stay at Purdue at that time. I know your job has changed very much at Purdue throughout your career there, as far as your position that you currently hold, but just the program in general, how has that changed since you've first arrived on campus? Well, the, uh, the program has changed. Um, and of course, my job description has changed a lot. I became director of bands in 2006 and took over the All-American Marching Band at that time. Um, when I came to Purdue, we had, uh, oh goodness, we had four concert bands and one orchestra and the marching band. We had maybe between five and 600 students in the program. And this, uh, the program right now, this past spring, we had seven concert bands and seven jazz ensembles. And, two full orchestras and a string orchestra and chamber music and all sorts of things. So the program has just grown by leaps and bounds. And uh, we've got more and more faculty and staff helping us all the time. And uh, you know, so the program has really exploded quite frankly. Uh, And of course this is with a whole group of students who are not music majors. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's, that's even more impressive. I, I believe. Right. For sure. So I know that you've got to know Alan Gladys Wright well during your Purdue time. Any special memories or stories you can share? Um, yeah, they're, Alan Gladys are terrific. They're terrifically supportive of our program. Um, one of the things about Al Wright that I think is maybe, um, uh, maybe f- remarkable is that he uh, was personal friends with Henry Fillmore. And uh, Henry Fillmore is, um, of course, one of the great march composers of all time. And Henry Fillmore wrote for, uh, you know, lived just up the street from, um, uh, from Al Wright at uh, Miami High School. So they became very, very good friends. And 
Henry Fillmore. To hear Al Wright tell Henry Fillmore's stories is a great thing. I bet. And he's met a lot of just famous people that have passed on by this point, too, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I, I, I looked up several things about the Purdue band, but one of the things that's um, listed quite often is the famous Block P that that was started with the very first band director. And for those of, of us that are not familiar with that, can you explain how that's still used in your performances today? Yeah, sure. The Block P is an integral part of our pregame show. Um, it's an iconic formation because it was the first time that a marching band had broken ranks from a military formation to, to create a, uh, um, you know, another kind of formation on the field. And so we have used this formation, the Block P, in our pregame shows for over 100 years now. It's become very iconic at Purdue. And, and as far as it's a, a Big Ten school, so of course those marching bands are known throughout the world. And you've mentioned how the program's grown so much, but if there was something you wanted people to know about the Purdue bands other than the athletic side, you've mentioned the wind ensemble. Is that one of the kind of the hidden gems um, in your opinion? Yeah, I think it is. Um, you know, when you look at the number of students we have involved in the band program, which is right now about 1,200 students, uh, only about 390 of those 1,200 are in the marching band. So we've got hundreds of students playing in concert bands and jazz bands and orchestras and you name it. And so I think that's one of the hidden, uh, that's one of the secrets about the Purdue Band Program that most people don't even know is how many students are involved in music on our campus. It's remarkable. And what are your, some of your favorite memories um, from your time at Purdue so far? Well, uh, you know, I've got two Carnegie Hall performances with my wind ensemble. Um, you know, our, the All-American Marching Band has performed some incredibly fun and entertaining halftime shows, um, especially during my time. It's just been a real blessing to be surrounded by people like Max, Max Jones, Matt Conaway, Pam Nave, our auxiliary staff, some of the other, Doug Fletcher, who's on our team now. Um, uh, remarkable to be surrounded by such great people. But, uh, um, you know, the Carnegie Hall performances, uh, All-American Marching Band performances in a variety of bowl games, um, not just bowl games, but, uh, you know, they marched in St. Patrick's Day in Dublin. Um, one of the greatest highlights of my life was the, having the Purdue Marching Band in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in 2010. We were the first Big Ten Marching Band to be in the Macy's Parade, and that was my first time to be, a, be part of the Macy's, uh, Macy's Day Parade. So what a what a huge uh, opportunity that was for me. You've mentioned a bunch of, a number of wonderful people, some I know and some I don't know, but is, is there a colleague that you would say has impacted your life the most? Well, Ray Kramer is my mentor. Um, Ray has had a bigger impact on my professional life than anybody I can possibly know. Um, but, uh, you know, I've had some really dear friends throughout the years who have been uh, incredibly supportive people like, you know, I mentioned Terry Austin was my junior high band director and, and Tabor Stamper. We've all become very good friends professionally throughout the years. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I owe so much to Ray Kramer and what he's done for me and how much he's taught me that, uh, you know, I consider him the greatest influence on my life. And, uh, 
Next question is, you've had so many different experiences in so many places, but if you could pick one event or a week or something from your career that you could pick and hop in a time machine and do again, could you think of something that you'd want to do again? Yeah, I would, yeah I would go back and teach at North Central High School. Um, well, I might be able to work that out for you, actually, if you want to. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> well, I, you know, a lot of my colleagues actually – you know, I, I make comments about going back to public school teaching and, uh, you know, they'll say things like, oh, why in the world would you want to do that? And I have to tell you that, you know, some of the greatest memories and greatest experiences I have in my entire life were in the classroom with my high school band students, not just at, not just at North Central, but at Hobart and, um, at, at Wheeling and at Hardaway High School. I came across, across this story last night when I was listening to a uh, recording of Frank DeKelly's piece um, entitled Rest. And this person posted something that made such a, uh, that really struck me. Um, said, today I saw a post from Eric Whitaker reminding music, or music students in college to not let education squeeze the life out of our passion and to return to the music that made us fall in love with it in the first place. So I came to this, the one song to ever leave me in tears on stage because my band director was in tears. And then that person said, I miss high school band. And, you know, I've, I've conducted some incredible concerts through my life and have had incredible opportunities through Purdue and, you know, all sorts of things. Um, the impact high school band directors could have on their students is so tremendous. And because of the age group, uh, you know, the age of those students, they're so open to, uh, to music and uh, all sorts of different things that I love that experience. So if there's one thing I would go back in time to do again, it would be that. And I wouldn't doubt that in my lifetime and my career, you know, maybe after I retire from Purdue, that you'll find me in a high school band room again. That's great. It's great to hear you feel that way. Yeah. All right. We're off to the last quarter here, Jay. I appreciate you. Okay, great. Your, your time is very valuable here. So no worries. Um, I'm excited about this. So trying to make the fourth quarter something a little different here as we're, as we're all basketball fans. Um, usually fourth quarters have some suspense. Um, um, and so I provided all the questions um, to you in advance for everything we've done so far. So you can at least mm -hmm. think about it a little bit, but um, of course you don't have these questions yet. So let me give you the ground rules for the fourth quarter here. Okay. Um, these require quick yes or no responses. Um, okay. In some cases you're picking one item over another. Um, what you pick wins. So the other for the sake of this interview is gone forever from the band world. Not, Obviously, this is pretend, but okay. um, some of them might be difficult for you to answer, but you need to just go ahead and answer because you're okay. deciding for, for all of band eternity, so to speak. Okay. So, so are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Alto clarinets. Got to include them in the band or let's move on and get rid of them from concert band. I include them um, judiciously when the <laughs> repertoire calls for it. Uh, you're skating on thin ice here, but I'll give it to you. All right. Okay. Thank you. Band setup. Tubas in the center or on the conductor's right? Uh, you just I, may, 
Okay, got to pick one to the conductor's right. All right. Tuning your band, going from the top or coming from the bottom? Coming from the bottom. Okay. At contest, thinking of high school bands here, should a march be required? No. All right. This is going to be a tough one. Okay. Which is better, Hulse first suite or Hulse second suite? Ah, uh, Hulse first suite. Okay. Pick a composer. If you were to pick between Sousa or King, who gets to still exist? Um, John Phillips Sousa. Okay. If you don't have a harp, can you program a piece that calls for a harp and cover it with an electronic keyboard? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I had to think about that one. All right. Uh, yeah. If I can, if uh, if I have to give a yes or a no, then my answer is yes. But you can okay. hear it hear from the tone of my voice. <laughs> yeah, how I there, feel about that. there was some hesitation. All right, moving on. In marching band, bell front tuba or sousaphone? Sousaphone. Okay. Musicals. Okay, we're going to change venue here. Okay. Only one gets to survive: The Music Man or West Side Story? The Music Man. All right. Here we have another pick a composer question for you. Okay. If you have to pick between Persichetti or Hindemith, whose music will still exist? Hindemith. All right. Here's a fun one. Plastic instruments. Secretly think they're sort of cool or ban them forever. Ban them forever. Okay. Your program a, a March. Does it go first or last? First. First. All right. This can be controversial, but I think you okay. can answer here. Okay. Breathe with your band on the prep or not? Yes, breathe. Okay. Picking between band pieces, sleigh ride or Russian Christmas music, which one gets to survive? Sleigh ride. Sleigh ride. Okay. This, this could be tough, this next one. So you're thinking of Lincolnshire Posey. Mm -hmm. You have to get rid of one movement. Which one's going? No. Have to get rid of one movement. You have to. Oh. Movement four. The, the brisk young sailor's gone. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll notify all of your colleagues. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Keep and, that a uh, secret. <laughs> my last my last question and you, you i'll give you some time if you have any uh, okay. most bizarre instrument most bizarre instrument you've used in a concert band performance uh um the most bizarre instrument i've used in a concert band performance is a washboard okay a washboard Mm -hmm. All right. Now, now you had you had what 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 piece was that? Do you recall? Or maybe that was once. no. It was a Cadiana by Frank to Kelly. Okay. And I used three washboards, and they were all lined up in the back across the back of the ensemble. He requires them. That's probably the most bizarre instrument I've used. <laughs> okay. Now you had no idea what my questions were going to be or how lengthy it would be. I don't know if you have any questions you want to try and get me oh. with, or if you want to move move on. What do you think? No, I don't think so. Those were great questions, though. Okay. Well, um, I, I appreciate you taking time and talking with me today. I, I, I knew some of those stories, but even, even though I've been fortunate enough to get to talk with you for all these many years, I, I certainly learned a few things myself. So no, I'm glad, I'm glad to just have a chance to talk about it. It's always fun to reminisce about your career. And, um, sometimes I, you know, I just have my 59th birthday 
And so I look back at my career and my life and, um, you know, wonder if there were things that I would do differently and maybe, but, you know, life presses on and, you know, the, the world keeps spinning. So there's no use in thinking about that. You just have to keep looking ahead and keep trying to make a difference in what you do. So I just have the privilege of working with such incredible students at Purdue. And I still am very pleased that I can hopefully change lives through music. What an, what an amazing blessing. Well, again, thanks for taking time to talk with me. I appreciate it. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank you, Rick. That concludes the first episode of The Real Deal. For more information on Mr. Gephardt and the Purdue Band Program, be sure to check out www.purdue.edu backslash bands. The Real Deal is hosted by me, Rick Granlund. This episode was edited and mixed by Connor Granlund. Our theme song is March of the Steelmen, performed by the 2009 Isma State Concert Band Champions, the North Central Wind Ensemble. Thank you for taking time to listen to The Real Deal podcast today. Be sure to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at RealDealPodIN. And make sure to subscribe for more interviews coming soon.